Nixon, President Nixon was then the president. And what Nixon, Richard Nixon tried to do is he tried to cover up their involvement in the scandal that they, they, they begin to, uh, 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 they, uh, many accused them for trying to re-elect President Nixon and they went into what is known as the Democratic uh, National Committee, the DNC, to steal documents so that he would win the next election. And so this is what is known as the Watergate scandal. And what happened is in 1972, a group uh, of these Republican operatives were in the midst of a breaking and entering scheme. And so in June, 19, June 17, 1972, five of these men were arrested, triggering investigations with le which led to the imprisonment of those connected to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Today, it is known as the Watergate scandal. And one of the key players and the mastermind, <clears throat> uh, key players and the mastermind of the scheme was a lawyer and a White House staffer named George Gordon Liddy. Liddy was convicted of conspiracy, burglary, and illegal wiretapping for his role in the scandal. He served nearly 52 months in federal prison for his role in this illegal activity and refusal to testify before Congress. After his release from prison, Liddy eventually settled into a career as a radio talk show host and as a guest panelist on Fox News. And one of the quotes that Liddy recently made, this was quite a while ago, but he made this statement. He said, I have found in myself, listen to what this, this man said, I have found in myself all I need and all I shall ever need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith, he says, is in George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. Now, that's a very dangerous statement to make because what you find George Leedy saying after all those months of being present or in prison, he makes the statement that I trust in myself more than anyone else. It's very fascinating when you read history that you find philosophers and different leaders of the past, one of which was Jean de La Fontaine. He was a French philosopher. He said, help yourself and heaven will help you. Ralph Waldo Emerson made the statement, trust thyself and every heart vibrates to that iron spring. Ancient Greek philosopher said of self-reliance, it is folly for a man to pray to the gods for that which he has power to obtain by himself. And when you study the statements that these men have made, you cannot deny nor negate the reality that self-reliance, self-dependence, has been on the rise for a long time. That people have come to play a place where you study this and you realize 
that they constantly make their case or they surround their case by statements such as this. Another man said, depend not on one another, but lean instead on thyself. And he went on to say, true happiness is born of self-reliance. I say to you this morning, self-help is an oxymoron. I've read enough books to tell you that. What it means is, we think that we can help ourselves. But if we could, why are we in the mess we're in? The truth is, self-help is an oxymoron. It is something that sounds good to the ear, but it takes more than us to help ourselves. We need God. Self-reliance or self-help often leads a person to a place where they have independence minus God. I can do it myself. And I want to talk to you from the Bible about a parable in the scripture that's familiar to all of us. Because as Christians, backsliding begins when the father becomes unimportant to you. When God seems unnecessary to you, when we drift from relying on God, that's where backsliding begins. I make a statement this morning and I will build my case on this. Self-reliance will inevitably lead to backsliding. The more you try to help yourself, the less you will ever want to depend on God. And let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 13 this morning. Here in this passage is the parable, as most of us know, the prodigal son. But in this passage, as we read verses 11 through 13, he said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. So here the younger son is a picture, an image of a believer who has been embraced into the family of God. You are saved. You have given your life to Christ. Now the Father has embraced you, welcomed you into the spiritual family. And now upon becoming older, he has grown from a young child to an age where he's able to make decisions. And as he grows older, he prematurely asks for his inheritance. Give me my money. This is what he's basically saying. If you read the whole passage, you know. He's saying, give me my money and let me live my own life. Stop telling me what to do. I want my money and I want to get out of here. Okay, that, that is the context of the whole story that you will read in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. You will find the, common, you will find the commonality in a man who wanted what he wanted, but he refused to have the Father. And in this sermon, as I was putting this together, I realized 
Actually, we always call this the prodigal son, don't we? The parable of the lost son. But I came to a conclusion as I was working on this sermon this week. Actually, it's more the, it, the sermon can go two ways. It's the prodigal son, but it also can be the prodigal father. Because the father who had amassed all of this inheritance, wasted it by giving it to his children. You know what prodigal living is, right? Prodigal means wasteful, wasted. And this is what you see in this passage. It wasn't only the son who wasted the inheritance. Even the father wasted his inheritance by giving it to the son. So it's, it's, it's not so much just the prodigal son. It is also the prodigal father here. And as I pondered this, I realized he was the one who gave it away. He wasted what he had on his children who didn't deserve it. But the father, even as he gave it away, let me build my case this morning. The father said nothing. That if I give this to you, I want for you to leave the home or leave the house or to move away somewhere. The father said nothing about it. The father gave the inheritance with the expectation that the son will continue to work with the father and stay in his house. How many know that's how God is with us? God blesses us. God gives us miracles, things we don't deserve. We ask, we pray for. And God, just like Judas, you know the story of Judas, that God entrusted this man to handle the treasury of the temple. God said, you, you will manage the treasury. But the Bible also reminds us that God knew beforehand the type of character Judas had. He was a robber. He was a stealer. But what was God implying? What was God trying to do with Judas? He was, he was giving him a test to see if this man would change. And in the same context, the father gave the son the blessing, the inheritance. But as you and I know, beloved, every inheritance, even in biblical history, is only given to the child upon the death of the parent. But this young man demanded for it before his father died. Which suggests again to me that there was pride involved and there was selfishness. This was a man who was entitled-minded. But the older son, who also received his portion stayed with the father. So you see there are two types of believers here. Stayed with the father, and though he was older, he remained after being blessed. Now this is a picture this morning as I bring this to, a, to where the rubber meets the road. This is a picture of God who takes pleasure in having relationship with his children. God wants to have relationship and fellowship with us. God never wants for you and I to be distant from Him. But yet this is the nature that seems to uh, uh, go through or, or seems to be the pattern of our culture today. 
And as much as God desires that relationship with us, there is always the danger that targets us as believers. The danger that as we get older as Christians, if we are not maturing, the lesser we depend on God. We are growing. We're getting older by numbers. We are getting older by age. I'm a Christian for 10 years. I'm a Christian for 15 years. But as you grow older, if your spiritual life isn't maturing, it becomes easier to distance yourself from God. I make a statement to you. Immaturity distances us from God. When you are immature as a Christian, when there is no growth in your spiritual life. Oh, you can boast about being a Christian for how many number of years. But if you're not maturing, when we are aging in spiritual years, but not growing spiritually. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know what I'm talking about? Right? You, 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 your, 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 your spiritual life seems to be stunted. You're a Christian for 25 years, 10 years, 15 years, but it never seems that you grow in your knowledge of God's Word. Your level of understanding has remained at that level. It's like an older person who is 40, 50, 60 years old, but thinks like a teenager. Right? You, you, you see this becoming a common sight amongst you know, the people of our generation, you look at the decisions that people seem to make today and you wonder to yourself, why would you make a decision like that? Have you not grown in your understanding toward God? So in maturity, when you never grow spiritually, it brings a wedge between you and God and it brings a distance between you and God. You see, our inheritance this morning as believers, as we know, beloved, is in eternity, not here. We miss the point. What am I saying in all of this? Listen to me. We miss the point. If all we're doing as Christians is we're following Jesus to only get something from Him. Can I say that again? We miss the point if the only reason we are following Jesus is because we want to get something here from Him. For some people, it's healing. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's job. For some people, it's marriage. For some people, it's finances, breakthrough. And, and if we only took a closer glance and a deeper look as to why, why am I following Jesus? It might be that we want the blessing, but we don't want the relationship. Have you made effort in building your relationship with God? The son wanted the blessing, but he wanted nothing to do with the father's business. And this can be you and I as Christians, because the truth be told, God never leaves us. It's always the other way around. We walk away. So 
So let's stop then because the risk we're dealing with lies in the reality that the longer we are believers, the more comfortable we feel or we get to walk away from the Father. It's interesting to me that the older, when you become a new Christian, you seem to rely on God so much. God, I want you to speak to me in your word. I want you to tell me what your word says. God, I'm praying and I want an answer. You seem to be so reliant and dependent on God. But the older you get as a Christian, it seems that the lesser desperate you get to God. This is a problem. There's something not right with the equation, beloved, because the truth is backsliding never happens in one day. It's compromise upon compromise, decision upon decision, one bad move to another bad move, and one decision to another decision leads you astray. So here's this young man in our passage. He looks at the world. In essence, he was fantasizing from his father's compound. So the father is on a, on a, on a plot of land and he's fantasizing, if only I could get out of this. If only I don't have to be so committed anymore. If only I don't have to make so difficult decisions anymore. If only I don't have to say no to my friends anymore. How many know what I'm talking about? If only I look outside the perimeter of my father's house, it seems like those guys are having a gala time. They don't seem to be having any troubles. They don't seem to have any issues. You can look at a person's life, a superstar, and say, oh, they're Christians, but they live like hypocrites. And then you can aspire to have that. You can desire to have that. You can say, oh, if he can do it, why can't I do it? So the young man saw in the mind what he hadn't seen in the physical. He had not been there. He had not gone into the world yet. He had not tasted the world yet. His father would have put it in him. There's nothing good that comes out of the world. His father would have deposited in him. Son, you staying here is the best and safest place for you. Are you with me this morning? The father would have imparted this in his son. But at the end, the son saw fantasized, he visualized in his mind that the world out there is better than here. And he drew his own conclusion. I don't have to make stands anymore. I don't have to wake up early anymore. I don't have to be on the farm or on the, on the field anymore. I don't have to work my, my butt off and sweat and labor anymore. I don't have to do this. I don't have, how many Christians are just like that? I don't have to read anymore. I don't have to pray anymore. I don't have to come to church anymore. I don't have to give anymore. I don't have to tithe anymore. I don't have to seek God. I don't have to, the best, I don't have to fast anymore. <laughs> we laugh, but so many Christians, that's exactly what runs in their mind. They desire what's out there more than what God has for them. They fantasize it. And this is where backsliding starts. I make a statement to you. Here is the man. He became discontented, beloved, with being in the father's house. 
discontentment. The reason is because he started comparing. How many know when you start comparing with someone else's car, you start getting discontented? When you start comparing with a house, you start getting discontented. When you start comparing salaries, you start getting discontented. So here's a young man who started comparing. Oh, my friends, my age, they have freedom to do what they want to do. They can, they can say what they want to say. The father never reprimands them. The father never corrects them. The father never looks over them and says, Son, stay where you're at. Be faithful where you're at. No, the father never said. And the son could have seen all of that and said, I wish I had that. He failed to see his position as a son as a privilege. He saw it as a burden. He saw his position as a son a burden. Can I make a statement to you this morning, church? Your highest calling as a Christian is not to be a father, not to be a mother, not to be a pastor, not to be a teacher, not to be a leader. Your highest calling as a Christian is to be a child, a child of God. This, this is the whole world we live in, isn't it? You're not a good mother. You're not a good father. Isn't that what Adam and Eve battled through? I was telling the men yesterday, you know, blame after blame after blame. Adam's statement, the wife you gave me caused me to eat. You know something? He wasn't actually blaming the wife. He was indirectly blaming God, the wife you gave me. It's your fault why you gave, me, gave her to me. He was blaming God indirectly. You see, when, when, when discontentment sets in, you start blaming God. Why my friends can do this? Why I can't? Why is it getting harder to be a Christian? Why is it I have to be careful what I watch? Why is it I have to be careful what I listen to? Because you're a child of God. To him, he might have said it this way. The sooner I can have my freedom, the sooner I can live my life. I want to live my own life. Don't tell me what to do. This is the mantra of today. So why would a man, why would a woman, let's consider this as we bring it to a close. Why would a man or a woman feel so comfortable to turn their back and walk away from the father? I want you to think about this with me. What would cause a young man like this younger son? What would cause this man to, you know, after all those years, your father has raised you up. He's given you the rights, the privileges. He blesses you when you ask him to. He gives you what you ask for. In fact, you would have received more than you expected. But what would make a man turn and walk away from the father and not feel bad about it? That, that, that's what I'm getting to. Not feel bad to turn your back on God. What would make a man not just walk away? Because some people walk away and they feel guilty. At least thank God they feel guilty. They feel bad that, you know what, I shouldn't do that to God after all he's ever done to me. What would make a man? feel so comfortable 
to walk away. Number one, he's gained so much confidence that I can do life without God. Have you heard of an arrogant fool? I can do this. You think it's God. Uh? I'm the one. Uh. When you have such confidence, have you ever, you know, I, I, I've in the, been in the sales line for, when, when I was working. And I can tell you, sometimes when you go into your workplace, you are so confident about what you're going to do. You talk like you own the whole world. You, you know, when I was doing property, I was very confident that I had the buyer. I, I know what to say. I know how to say it. I know when to say it. It, it, was, it was a confidence inside that when I saw him, there was no fear at all. Some Christians are like that. You're so confident that my talent, my gift, my ability, my own genius will give me success. You've become so confident. You know why? You've been under the Father's protection and protection brings confidence you know when you deal with a little child they come to you and then they say daddy this person said that he says son don't worry you go back to school and if anything daddy will come and he goes back to school i remember one time there was a young boy uh, the grandfather told him you know what the next time the boy comes and bully you you remember grandpa is here punch him and so that young boy went to school and that boy came on that day and came and bullied him and you know what that young boy did that young boy pulled the punch and punched him right smack in his eye how many know that's what confidence gets you sometimes it gets you into trouble you think you can conquer the whole world just because confidence is there and this is exactly what happens the father would have told the son, son, you are everything to me. I love you. I'm always there for you. Confidence. Protection brings confidence. The second thing that I thought about, and my wife helped me out with this, but she said, you know, sometimes when you get so used to doing something, it gets monotonous. Every day you wake up and you pray. Every day you wake up and you read the Bible. Every day you wake up and you, you know, you do things that are routine based. So much so that it becomes so monotonous. It becomes so familiar that now just like this young man, every day he's doing it and doing it and doing it. And to him, even if I break the chain, nothing is going to happen. And so people view that familiarity, they become comfortable with it because every day I'm doing it is making no difference. It's making no impact. It's making no difference. I pray every day. It's the same thing that happens in my life. I lay hold of it every day. And, and that monotonousness, if there's a word, monotonousness, you know, <laughs> comes to a place where you feel no difference. And you walk away. The third reason that I really think is the reason why most people walk away from the Father. Because we overestimate His goodness. You know what happens? This son looked at the Father and said, what is He going to do to me? He's not going to take a parang and come and chop me. 
He's a good father. And you know how many Christians, because of God's goodness, you dare turn your back on God? Because you say, He's not going to do anything to me. Try lah, try lah. What can He do to me? You have so much confidence that you've overestimated His goodness. That now no longer you fear Him, you think in your heart that there's going to be no repercussion, consequences from my action. I can walk away and my father will not come to harm me. That's what the son thought. He's a good man. He's not going to hire bullies to come and bully me. He's not going to hire assassins to come and kill me. He's not going to, he's a good father. And everybody thinks of God's goodness, but they also forget that he is equally your judge as much as he is your father. He will correct you and he will judge you. He will get what he wants from you because he's God and you are not. I preached last Sunday morning. Don't take it in the context that, oh, I can take, I can take God for granted. Listen to me. He is God. He is God. He sits on the throne and he says the earth is his footstool. So I think this is why people so comfortably in our generation today just compromise, give up their Christian lifestyle, give in to the things of the world because they see that God, he didn't do anything to me. I told a lie, he didn't strike my tongue. I cheated, he didn't come after me. And you just continue to do it. reading a, a, a book and in this book uh, the writer uses an analogy known as the elephant and the rider. I want to take just a few moments just to explain this to you and then we'll close uh, 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 in a moment. But the University of Virginia had a psychologist named Jonathan Hyde. And this man, he began to present the human characteristic in this way. He said that all of us have an elephant and a rider. Our elephant is our emotions, he said. The rider is your rational mind. So in most cases, on the top of the elephant is the rider, the rational mind. You are trying to be as rational, you're trying to be as thinking as possible, you're trying to make sense of things as much as possible, but what happens is, as a rider, as rational as you are, your emotions will win most of the time. Because feelings and your emotions are way heavier than the rider. And so he says, the emotions are overmatched. The great falling away many a times by believers are simply by the simple fact that the elephant and the rider, and it's, and it's competition between the two. So when the rider and elephant disagree on which way to go, 
you've got a problem. Listen carefully. The rider, which is the rational side, can get his way temporarily. He can tug on the reins as hard as he can to get the, element, the elephant to submit. And when you use willpower, you're using your rider to make decisions. So this is where, in Christian terms or in more familiar terms, we use the word self-control. Willpower is self-control. So you are telling the elephant, you're telling your emotion, no, I have to pray. I don't feel like praying. How many of you know that? I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like being in church. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like tithing. I don't feel like going in an outreach. I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. Your emotions win 100% of the time or at least 95% of the time. But the rider that's sitting on the elephant is trying to say, no, do it. Do it. No, you have to do it. You have to do it. So what happens is, the rider can win. But after a while, it runs out of willpower and it loses. And that's why people backslide. Because they come to church or they hear the word of God. I must do it. I must do it. I must do it. And they've not allowed God to change them. So all they see Christianity about is a legalistic way of life. I must be in church. I must pray. I must read the Bible. I must. And then you have the other tension, which are people who elephant conquers them. Everything is about feelings. Everything is about emotion. So they did a study. And I, this is why I want to share this with you. They did a study. They got two groups of students. They took them to a room. They brought them to this lab. And it's called a food perception study. And so students were required to come to the room Three hours of being hungry. They were told not to eat anything. You come to the lab while you're hungry. Okay? And so then they were led to a room that, was, that smelled amazing. There were two bowls. One held the sampling of chocolate along with warm, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. While the other bowl had radishes. You know, rabbits eat radish. So half the participants were asked to eat two to three cookies. No radishes. So this group of people, you just eat cookies, you, have, you, you eat them, you eat two to three pieces of them, and then, but touch no radishes. While the other group, they were told, you eat only radishes. If all the cookies in front of you, you will not eat them. And so despite the temptation, obviously the person eating the cookie didn't feel quite tempted about the radish. <laughs> but the person eating the radish obviously felt tempted about the cookie. But they still only ate what they were told to eat. So they were good students. But that's willpower at work. Eventually, they were presented, after this, this concept was introduced to them, immediately the, the, the lecturer took them into a different room and they said, okay, now we're going to give you puzzles to solve and so they said what we want you to do is with these puzzles you need to trace a geometric shape without retracing any lines and without lifting the pencil from the paper so listen carefully to the conclusion of the study the untempted students that means the students who had not had to resist eating the chocolate chip cookie they just ate the chocolate chip cookie right they had no reason to exercise self-control 
they spent 19 minutes on the task and 34 well-intentioned attempts. That means they came up with 34 solutions on the piece of paper. Whereas the reddish-eating students who had to say no to the cookies, they gave up only after eight minutes. They couldn't go on. And they only came up with about 19 solutions on the piece of paper. So what is the conclusion here? They say, why did they give up so easily? Because they ran out of self-control. They couldn't, couldn't say no to themselves anymore. You know, some Christians are just like, you're so legalistic as a Christian. No, I cannot do No, I cannot do No, I cannot. No, 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 no. One day, you know what's going to happen? The same thing that happened with the prodigal son. I'm fed up of being under control. I'm tired of being under control. Because you fail to exercise balance. You have to, the conclusion of it is, you have to appease to your emotional side as much as you have to appease to your rational side. It has to make sense. This has to become a lifestyle. Living with the Father must not be something you're forced to do. It must be something you want to do. It must become a lifestyle. It, it cannot be that, oh, pastor told me to pray, so I'm praying. No, 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 no. I need to have relationship with God. I want to pray. Are you getting what I'm saying? When you can bring yourself to that, you begin to rationalize why you're doing it. I believe that this young man, he ran out of self-control. He didn't like being there anymore. He didn't want to be in the Father. He felt strapped. He felt trapped in it. He wanted out. And this is the nature with every backslider. Proverbs 14, 14, the Bible says, the backslider in heart will be filled in his own ways. But a good man will be satisfied from above. Do you see? Selfishness is the symbol of a backslider. Self-help, self-reliance, uh, everything about self, 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 self. He'll be filled with his own way. All he ever cares, this young man came to that. He symbolically gave, a, gave his father a slap across his face, said, I want your blessing, but I want nothing to do with you. Now, I ask you, as we consider this young man, instead of appreciating your sonship, your child, child your, 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 uh, uh, as a daughter uh, to, the, to, the, to the father, instead of appreciating that position, you view the kingdom of God as a place where I'm forced to do something. This is where it changed for this young man. He no longer saw it as a privilege to be called a child to his father. He now saw it as a burden that he had to carry out every day. Let me ask you this morning, because the greatest place you have in God's kingdom is you are a child of God. Don't ever come to a place where living for God becomes monotonous, legalistic. For the sake of doing it. I'm telling you, if not today, one day you will burn out and walk away from God. You have to deal with it. You have to come to the place and say, you know what? I am privileged 
to be a child of God. We've been reading Judges as I close. Judges 3 verses 7 and Judges 3 verses 12. This week we read that passage. The Bible says this profound, profound insight here. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Judges 3.12 a commonality here, the, the common theme here. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen carefully as I bring this down, beloved. God delivered the children of Israel away and out of Egypt. God not only delivered them, He gave them land in Canaan. We did the study on that. Twelve plots of land for tri 12 different tribes. God blessed them. God gave each tribe a plot of land. God gave them a place they can call their own. But in context to all of that, beloved, the pattern with the children of Israel was this. They kept doing wrong. God would help them and they go right back and do the wrong thing again. It's known as a binge and purge cycle. Spiritual binge. God helps you. Oh God, I need your help. He shows up. He helps you. And then after He helps you, you go right back in and do the same mess again. Oh God, I'm sorry. Go right back in. You know what is so fascinating? And I, and I, didn't, I didn't put this in this passage. I have it in my... To be honest, I was reading my old Bible yesterday. I have a small, I, I don't like, I like the bigger one because of the words. I tore it yesterday because I was reading it in my office. I had put a sticky note on it. I pulled the sticky note, the thing, and Luke 15 was gone. <laughs> so I can't preach from it today, you know. I, but but, but it, it's very fascinating. He said, he said in verses 21, uh, or rather, let me just, let me just pull this out. In verses 19, if, if Jeremy, you can go ahead and put verses 19 up, okay? This is very interesting when I saw this. He said in verses 19 or verses 18, he says, I will arise, go to my, father's, to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, right? This were the words he had prepared in his mind, I'm going to tell my father, all right? Verses 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants. And then in verses 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't go on to say, make me as one of your hired servants. I, I hope you get that this morning. Because he had come to a place of repentance. Where in his mind, I'm going to get this right. And I'm going to tell my father, let me be a servant to you. But he didn't tell that. Was it pride? Was it arrogance? Why did he just give his father half truth? See, there are some Christians, we repent, as Malaysians would say, half past six leaves. 
We say we're sorry, but we don't want to do more to get it right. Repentance demands not only a change of heart, but a shifting of your actions. When you truly repent, when you truly come before God and say, God, you know what? I've sinned against you. If you're not careful, I don't know the story of the son. Maybe in the next, when we step into eternity, maybe the son, this was only a story, no doubt, but it's a story of so many people today. We can conclude, maybe he went right back to the world after appeasing to his father. Because the father said, you are my son. Appease him. Bless him again. And then binge and purge. Go right back in again. Service. Serving. Will help you stay right with God. a story about a woman who had finished shopping. She went to her car. I hope none of you do this. She found four men inside the car. She dropped her shopping bags. She pulled out the handgun and she screamed, I have a gun and I know how to use it. Get out of the car. Those men did not wait for a second. They got out. They ran like crazy. The woman, somewhat shaken, she loaded her shopping bags, got into the car, but no matter what she tried to do, she tried to put the, car, the key into the engine start, she realized this isn't my car. <laughs> you laugh, but that's what we do with God every time. Give me the blessing. Give me what I ask you to give me. And God says, take it. It's not even yours in the first place. It's mine. It all belongs to God, not you. You see, self-help, that's what the woman does. I want it. Give it to me. But the moment you sit in the car and you try to put the key in it, that's why they came out with smart cars nowadays. You have your key in the pocket, you can open the lock without having to start it. <laughs> so if you don't have the key, it's not your car. You just... But the point is, it's not your blessing. It's God's. You try to steal. He took what belonged to the Father deceptively. But he never reciprocally lived for his Father anymore. He walked away. But the oldest son took the blessing and what did he do? He continued to serve his Father. He gave back to his Father. What do you do when God blesses you? What do you do? Stinge on God? Walk away from God? How does God feel about that? How does He feel? Forgetting God's goodness makes a tough Difficult decision to backslide an easy one. It becomes easy to walk away from God when you forget what God has done for you. I want to challenge you as I close right here. We need to reflect. 
we need to remind ourselves, you've been backslidden at heart. Maybe you've seen the world. Maybe you look at the things that seem more appeasing on the outside. We need to remind ourselves that our God who's good has brought us where we are. And if all at all I must be, like the son said, he didn't say this to the father, but he said it in his heart, make me a servant in your house. That should be the cry. God, I don't deserve any of this. Let me do more for you. Let me serve you. You cannot try to make life work without God. Spider-Man came up with a movie in 2019, Far From Home. Maybe you're far from home. Come back to church. Cannot, this one cannot hit. It breaks. Maybe you're far from home. Come back. Father, I've sinned against you. Sorry, but don't stop there. Don't stop where the prodigal son stopped. Make me like one of your servants. I'll serve you. You bless me, I'll serve you. Don't walk away from God. Bow your heads with me. Demanding independence this morning. We as human beings, we like we want to live 